Kayla, it's for you right here. Take it away. Just chapter three. Yeah. Um, three, one through fifteen. Sorry. Ecclesiastes three, one through fifteen. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear and, a tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from this toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in a man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all this toil. That is, this is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. All right. All right, let me set up a reminder here. Time to take notes. Okay. All right. Um, this is like anytime you teach on this passage, you, it's like required that you do this in some pastor's manual, but who knows what song was written from this passage? Anybody? No. Anyone under 18 know that there was a song written out of this book? Of the... you, yes, she knows. <laughs> it is there. Um, okay. Never mind. It doesn't even matter. You don't care. The birds, the birds wrote a song called Turn, 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 and it's literally that first eight verses. You can look it up on YouTube. Okay, wow, just not caring at all. Here we go, moving on past that. Again, I said it was obligatory. We're done with it. We're not coming back to it. So, chapter three of Ecclesiastes. Is there meaning in life? Has the author found something that drives him to find meaning in life, or is this more meaninglessness? We're going to kind of explore that as we go. But before we do that, let's take a few minutes to just look at this little poem, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, and this is audience participation, um, just to kind of get us thinking and engaged. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And then he lists a bunch of things. What observations can you make on this poem? What do you notice? What does he seem to be trying to do as he covers these things? What are things that you see coming up? Anything. Observations. Yes. Yes. 
to it, so I think these things like, you know, life isn't just a one track thing, you know, there's going to be highs and lows, and it's all There's a time for highs, there's a time for lows. That's great. Every positive is balanced by its negative, right? That's, that's a great observation. Anything else we see in the poem? Just um, looking at it, I uh, just going above what Adam was saying, was that just, it kind of like just the way the, he's writing it is that um, he emphasizes time a lot. And so, um, you know, it's swinging back and forth, so it kind of looks like, like a, pendulum, so to say, in writing, going back and forth, and then back and forth. It's not going anywhere, it's just going back and forth. And like time, reminds me of the clock just ticking away. It's just Wow, great observation. Yeah, some, one sermon I heard by actually the guy who teaches at um, we, um, College Church, Josh Moody, um, Pastor Moody, he just says you can actually hear the ticking of the clock as you hear the poem. Like it's just tick-tock, tick-tock as it goes back and forth between different things. So good, yeah. Any other observations? Does there seem to be any sort of pattern as to why he covers what he covers here? Does he kind of cover, is he focusing on one area of life or? He's kind of covering the whole gamut, right? Life, happiness, sadness, life, death, times to gather stones, times to cast stones away. You guys know what he's talking about there, right? Neither do I. Okay, good. Um, This is probably not a poem that you should, you know, use to to justify your actions at times, you know, like your little brother, like, it is a time to kill. I am sorry. (laughs) Ecclesiastes 3, you are going to die now. It's probably not what he's saying, right? (laughs) My mother-in-law, it is a time to refrain from embracing. Thank you for the hug, but it is time to refrain. (laughs) Just kidding. If you're listening to this, I love your hugs, Moira. (laughs) Moving on. Um, Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of great comedy material here. I should probably refrain, though. Time to refrain. Okay, here we go. Moving on. Um, There is a time to laugh. There is. There's a time to mourn when the jokes are just really bad. It's really bad. Um, Okay, so one thing I want us to notice as we look at this poem, it's a lovely poem, is at the beginning it says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Under heaven. What is one of the key phrases that we've seen throughout Ecclesiastes? It sounds a little bit like that, but a little bit different. Under, Under, what does he say sometimes? Under Under the sun, right? So he says, he looks at the world and he says, here's what I have seen under the sun. But now he changes his perspective and he says, here's what life looks like under heaven. We have to ask, why does he do that? Is that important? And I think it is. Because I think whenever he uses this phrase under heaven, he's specifically asking us to look at life under God's sovereign hand. When we look at life as being underneath a sovereign God who's in control of everything. That word sovereign just means that he's in control. He's running the show. So he says, as we look at life as God is running the show, there is a time that is appointed for someone to be born, and there's an appointed time for someone to die. 
There's a time to plant and to pluck up what is planted. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. Um, There's a time to break down, a time to build up, weep, laugh, mourn, dance. There's an appropriate time for each thing. And there's one timekeeper, and that's God. God is the one who sets the time for when things happen. So I think the important thing that we get from this poem is we see life under heaven as being this season after season that God is in control of. God's in control. And so the question is, how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? To know that there's season after season that God is in control of. Anyone? Is that encouraging? Is that discouraging? Does it give you hope? Does it give you despair? Yeah. So when life is hard, it's nice to know that there's some sort of plan out there, you're saying, okay? Good. So it's definitely one perspective. What, what might someone say on the more negative side? Yeah, God's watching over, you know, he's, I can't do anything that I want to do, right? Someone might even say, like, if it's all (coughs) set out for me and God knows the seasons and the times and everything, what's the point? Like, why do I have to do, why am I, why would I even try to do anything? God's the one who's already determined what's going to happen. And so as we reflect on the rest of this poem, actually, after this poem, this next section is reflecting on the poem, we're going to ask, is the author positive or is the author negative okay so verse nine he says what gain has the worker from his toil now that's a question that we've heard we've heard that a number of times in chapter two and it's this big guiding question and it's the question of what where's the meaning in this in all the work that i have to do in life of doing my chores of going to school of going to my job He's not saying, what's the profit? Like, how much do you make? But he's saying, what is ultimately the meaning of it all? Is life worth all this effort? Or am I just going in a big circle? Like, I go to school and I you know, take a shower, go to school, do my homework, come home, do my homework, go, just, just around and around and around. Or is there actually something to it? And like I said, different people read this passage differently. Some read it and say... The author continues to be the skeptic. Life has no meaning, and this is just a further evidence that there's no meaning in life. And others read it positively, and they say, you know what? The author has changed his tone. Something's different in chapter 3 than it was in chapters 1 and 2, and he's giving us a glimmer of hope as to how we find meaning in life. And so what we're going to do is we're going to play both of those out and see um, which one we think is more fitting, okay? So let's start with the negative, okay? Let's read through it. He says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. So you read, he has made everything beautiful in its time, and someone might say, only God can do that. You know, God makes seasons beautiful in his time. You have no control over the season of life that you're in. Whether you're in a season of great 
prosperity or need, whether you're in a season of, you know, you're a senior in high school and you're riding high and life is good and you're the top of the heap, or you're a freshman in high school and you're bottom of the heap and you're getting, you know, wedgies and noogies and passing periods, you can't do anything to change your season of life. God's the one who makes it beautiful in its time. You don't have control. He has also made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Well, that just sounds great. He's put eternity into your heart, which means he's put inside each one of us this, this knowledge, this sense that there's something bigger out there than us. That we were created for more than just 50 or 60 years. That, that life is, stretches way before us and it will stretch long after us. That he put that sense in us. But do you know what he did? This God, this great God, he made it so that we can't find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. We know there's a big picture. We just can't see it. Thanks, God. Thanks a lot. Verse 12, I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So, there's a big picture out there. You can't see it. You can't grasp it. Best you can do is just try to enjoy life, I guess. Eat. Drink, go to Chick-fil-A, get your milkshake, you know, enjoy it, because you're going to die. That's God's gift to you. Isn't he a great God? Thanks, God. All I get to do is go to enjoy my Chick-fil-A knowing that there's eternity out there, and I don't know if I'm going to be annihilated or or sent into eternal punishment and I die. I don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. Something's going to happen, but I might as well just enjoy the life I have while I'm living it because I'm going to die someday. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. It's coming. You know when it is, but you didn't tell me when it is, so I can't prepare for it. This is the negative way of reading this passage. I perceive that whatever God does, verse 14, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. Tremble before your sovereign God. He's set what you're going to experience in your life. He knows exactly what's going to happen to you when you walk out of this church, when you walk out of these doors. And in all of your effort, in all the work, in all your ambitions, you want to change the world, you want to be a a doctor, you want to be a philanthropist, you want to make money and give it to the poor, it doesn't matter what you do. God's the one who sets what's going to happen and you can't add to it. You can't change the course of history, you can't take away from it. God's the one who's going to do it, so... The best thing you can do is just shake in your boots before this God because you can't change anything. Verse 15. 
that which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. And that's a really tough last sentence or last phrase to interpret, but you might say, this is just saying the same thing we've already heard. There's nothing new under the sun. Everything's already been. Everything's that's going to be already has been. And some would say that this last phrase simply means, and God is going to judge you for what you do. So you are under his sovereign hand. You can't change anything. And at the end of the day, you know what you get? You get judgment. Life is meaningless. Why even try to change something that you have no control over? You guys feeling, feeling good? Yeah, okay. So that's how some read this passage. I would argue that we don't have to read it that way, though. I think that this passage is actually incredibly positive, and it's meant to be read in a much more positive light. So we're going to now read through it again in a positive light. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Now, as you read the book of Ecclesiastes, that word beautiful ought to stop you in your tracks because this is the first time we've heard anything that sounds remotely good and positive. Actually, we heard something at the end of chapter two, but this is, this is nice. He makes everything beautiful in its time. In other words... The season of life that you find yourself in, God is in control of it. And God's doing something in it. And God's something that he's doing is he's making something beautiful out of it. That that's what he does with all seasons of life. That that's how God works. That God puts you, whether it's through times of of rest or times of lots of work or times of suffering or trials... All of those seasons that God puts you in are working towards beauty, that God is doing something in those seasons to bring about something beautiful in you and through you and in the world around you, that God does this. And because God does it, you can trust that it's actually going to happen, that it's not up to you to be the one to make it beautiful in its time. That God will do that. He's bringing about beauty. And because he's bringing about beauty, well, oops, I'm getting ahead of myself. He goes and says, also he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. God has graciously given us a sense of eternity. We're conscious that there is a God, whether or not you want to say you're an atheist why are atheists, what, what, what do they argue against? What they're arguing against is this sense of eternity within themselves. We argue against the fact that we feel like there's more to this life, but if we haven't been able to put our finger on what that is, we, we argue against it, and yet we can't deny the fact that it's there. Like, why do atheists even feel the need to argue against God? There's something there. There's some sort of sense of eternity that we're conscious of. We're conscious of God and that there's more to life under the sun than just making money and doing what we think is right. The way that 
a great theologian a long time ago, Augustine, said it is, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. That God has put something in us so that we aren't satisfied with getting a 4.0 GPA. We aren't satisfied with winning championships. Did you know that when they interviewed Tom Brady after his third Super Bowl in 60 Minutes, he said, I feel like there's just more to be had than this. That's how we all feel after some great accomplishment. We might have a high for a night or a week after that, but it doesn't satisfy. There's a sense of eternity inside of us that is there for a reason. Verse 12 I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. When we realize that God is sovereign and that he makes everything beautiful in its time, when we realize that we're part of a bigger plan and that we're part of something that God is doing and that we play a role in it and that it's a role for the good of us and the good of those around us and for the good of all of creation, we are able, whether we are doing our middle school math homework or working towards a medical degree, we are able to do whatever it is God puts before us with joy. We're able to eat and drink and work and take pleasure in it. Whether you are someone who is a gas station attendant who, who you know, gives people change and sells lotto tickets, or you are a night custodian, or you are a NFL quarterback, you can do that and take pleasure in it because you know that God has a purpose and a plan and he's going to bring beauty out of it if you live in submission to his sovereignty. And that is a gift. This is God's gift to man. It is a gift from God that you don't have to be a pastor to feel like you're doing something with your life. Really, it is. It's a gift from God that you don't feel like, well, you know, I'm a lawyer, so you know, if I was a missionary, maybe I'd feel like I had more purpose. But no, it's God's gift to you that whatever you do, whatever you set your hand to, the toil that he gets given you, to do it faithfully to him, knowing that he has a purpose for it and he's bringing about his purpose, that's a gift from God, to know that he's sovereign over everything that he has set before you. It's a gift to know that whether you're doing algebra or mowing the lawn, that you aren't just serving your math teacher and you're not just serving your parents, but that you're serving God when you do it in a way that trusts him to use what he's set before you to bring beauty into the world. It's a gift to be able to live that way. And then verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. It is a gift to know that God's work is permanent, that whatever he does endures forever. It is a gift to know that nothing can be added to the work of God. Whatever God does, he does perfectly. He does, does to its fullest extent. It's a gift to know that God's work is secure, that no one can take away from what God has accomplished and is doing. And all of this ought to lead people to fear before him. Not to be afraid of him, but to be in awe of him. 
to be in awe of a God who has made us in such a way that the, the work of our hands, the things that he puts before us, the, the eternity that he has set in our hearts is for the purpose of drawing us upward and to realize that under the sun, if we look at life without God, there is no meaning. And to search for meaning where it's actually to be found. That's a gift. It's a gift for us to realize that meaning is found in God and in relationship with him. And he orchestrates life in such a way that we will seek that and not just go through life not even realizing that it's there. If, if we took pleasure and if we were totally satisfied in mowing the lawn each week and doing our homework all night and just feeling like this is exactly what I was created for and I couldn't be happier, we would never seek God. And yet God's put something in us to make us feel unsatisfied in that, to realize that there's more to life than that and to seek him and to find where meaning truly is found. And that is a beautiful gift that he has given us. And then verse 15, that which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. What does this mean? Well, God seeks tells us that what it's talking about is that God has a watchful concern over us. God sees what's being done on earth, and he's seeking out the beauty that he intends for us through us and in us and in the world around us that God allows us to feel the monotony of life and toil so that we will come to him. And that God is also looking to redeem the past. God seeks what has been driven away. Some say that that means God is seeking the past. What is in the past? The past is the Garden of Eden. And that God is at work to bring about beauty, the beauty that he first created in us and through us, and to bring us back to a place where we see life as it was meant to be and experience life as it was meant to be. So I think the point of this passage is simply to say that we need to let life's seasons, whatever season of life you're in, and our limitations, the sense that we realize there's more to life than just doing this and getting good grades and, and pleasing our parents. There seems to be more to life than that. Let those limitations and life seasons point you to God, not take you away from him. And I hope you see as we read the passage that it can do both of those things. It depends on how you receive it. You can let this knowledge that God is sovereign and controlled drive you away from him. You can say, it's no fair, I can't change anything, why would I even try? Or you can say, there's purpose, there's meaning, there's, there's purpose in life, there's joy to be had. I can't mess that up. God's the one who's determined it. He's the one who's at work. And so I am going to joyfully live in fear of this God, in awe of this God, who would show that there's really life that's worth living. So the question that we want to leave with is this. What's your perspective? How do you live life? Do you, does, does the way you go about your homework, does the way you go about um, your day, your off periods, your classes, your lunch hour, as the way that you carry yourself throughout the day as you do the tasks, whether if you're homeschooled, that your parents have given you, do you live life in a way that suggests that God's the one who has set this season for your life and that he has a purpose in it so that you can live in it joyfully? Or do you live life as if you are just 
a cog in a wheel, that you're, you're some piece of machinery and big, some big picture machine, and you know, all you can do is set that alarm for 6 a.m., hit the snooze six times, do the same thing you did the day before, and just grind it out. Well, I think that the answer depends on who our God is, right, and how we see God. The answer to how we live our life depends on how we see God. And so um, let's get the right perspective of God. And so as we look at the New Testament, we see the right perspective of God um, in Romans, and I didn't write any of this down, I'm just going off of memory here, is that he, um, somebody help me with the verse, uh, works all things for the good of those who love him, right? And our God works all things for the good of those who love him. That's what we see. We see that when we read the Bible from beginning to end, that there's a storyline, that there's progress, that it's pointing to Christ, to a day when Jesus would come and die for us to give us life and purpose and meaning, and everything after that is how do we live in that life and purpose and meaning that God has done. Um, Galatians says that the Savior was born when the fullness of time had come. God knew the perfect time for when to send a Savior. And that he died for our sins, Romans 5, 6, at just the right time. So there was a season, there was a time that God knew was perfect for us. And there's a season that God knows is perfect for you and he's put you in it. Do you trust him? Do you trust him to live in whatever season of life, whether it's middle school or high school, whether it's success or failure, do you trust God with the season that he's put you in that he will make it beautiful in its time? And do you live with joy because he has done that? Well, I encourage you today that we should live lives of joy, that the sovereignty of God should not lead us to despair, but it should lead us to joy. It should help us to know God's got this. He's in control. I can have joy even in the midst of a hard year at school and um, in the midst of bullies, in the midst of hard classes, that there's joy to be had because God makes everything beautiful in its time. He's doing something. So let's trust that God as we go out into the week ahead of us. Let's pray. God, you have given us a gift. And that gift is a sense of eternity and a, a acknowledgement that you have something bigger than just the menial tasks of our life, that there is meaning to be found in the fact that you are accomplishing something, that you are working out something, that you're working it in us, that you're working it through us, that you're working it in the world around us, that all of history, in fact, has meaning because it's working towards accomplishing something really, really beautiful. And when we look at the whole scope of Scripture, we know that that began with the Garden of Eden. It continued in Christ's redemption and restoration of his people, and it will be consummated at the new heavens and the new earth, that you are working all things towards that purpose. I pray that we would see our lives, whether it's um, at school or at work, whether it's as a student or as a teacher, whether it's as a parent or a child, that we would see our life as having meaning and purpose, that we'd be in awe of a God who's able to do that, who gives us the gift of that, and to live joyfully in whatever season it is you've set us in. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.